remember there was a time, this is sort of a little weird too, where we were so attached that I wanted to like tie a string between our hands and sleep all night long with a string attaching us. Going away, I'm going away, I'm going away from home. I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm going This is the Summer Camp Chronicles, a podcast where one camp old-timer one young camp professional, and some very special guests share their revealing camp stories and explore what makes summer camp uniquely special to so many people. Welcome back to the Summer Camp Chronicles. Last episode, you heard a lot about John. You heard from me, you heard from Cassie, and from Sam. In this episode, we're going to play you some parts of an interview that we did with John himself. Uh, As you can imagine, from what you know of him, it was a wide-ranging interview. He did have a lot of memories of early days at camp, but he also had a lot to say about other stuff. John Bent. Hey, what's up? How you doing? Hey, what's up? How you doing? You sound like Elvis. (laughs) Hey. How are you, Eric? I am so happy to see you and hear your voice and talk to you about camp. I have to tell you a little bit of context here like this i told you in the email i'm horrified how how rude my sister was to us do you remember that no oh she's been rude to me so many times yeah well in this particular case you and i so i you know this is the book i've always wanted to write about camp you should write it man you and i had whatever 10 years in camp i've had 35 i've never left all the crazy shit you can imagine happens anyway so you and i were like this is this is great we got a lot of stories your sister's a literary agent right Anyway, so we were going to do like a series of um, stories that kind of like were um, David Sedaris style. Mm. And we said that to Jenny. And Jenny was like, okay, here's the thing. David Sedaris is actually like really funny. You know, long pause as if like you guys aren't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he spent, whatever she said, you know, 12 years developing a following on NPR, like being a personality people knew. So they, so when he wrote a book, people bought it. And she was like, you guys have absolutely no chance whatsoever of ever getting this out into the world. So. Anyway, my point being, you're featuring really prominently in this first season, and I hope you're okay with that. You, I mean, of course. You don't really have a choice. I hope you know how much I love you. And, and what I'm I discovering in this process is that I like actually genuinely loved you at a, as an 11 and 12, or 12 and 13 and 14 in a way that I couldn't even comprehend then. But our friendship was really special. Like, oh, thank you. Really thank transformative you. in my life. Um, and so I'm sure. sort of equating that with camp. Like maybe it was camp, but I think it was that it was you in camp together that really made that summer of 86 like flip a switch for me so you know it's you know it's really interesting because i want to start i want to go back a little bit with you because you were at camp before i was i want to hear about that but um to get into it a little bit i found it fascinating that for me 1986 was the turning point like that's when i fell in love with camp even though i had been in another camp for three years prior to that coming to whitman meeting you having that bunk gate experience was like a light bulb going off in my head we talked to Sam Falk, who had been in camp since 79 or 77. Mm. He said there were a couple of moments in his life that really he remembers as sort of the, having the greatest impact. At the top of the list was 1986. He said there was something really special about that summer as a counselor for us as a group. It's the summer he fell in love with Kat. I don't know if you remember her. I do. Kat, so yeah. And so like that summer was like his thing. And then we talked to Jeff like totally randomly. And we're like, you know, Jeff, how did you figure out you wanted to make camp part of your life, whatever. He goes to this whole Jeff story about working, you know, as a chemist and Vicks and everything. And it comes down to 1986. He showed up 
he was having drinks with Rob and Rob said, I, I got to send a group out on a, on a three day traverse, you know, this week, can you go? And he called his boss and he's like, I'm staying in New Hampshire. And he took you and two other kids and Sam on twins and bonds. And that was the moment he decided he wanted to have, he wanted to be a camp forever. So it's, it's been that summer for a lot of us. All right. But go back to the beginning. Your grandmother mm. was, a, was a camp in 48. She, yeah, she was at camp. My, so my mom grew up at camp too, right? I, my mom's, my mom's parents worked there. And so she got to just sort of hang out there and she would, you know, be there before while they were setting up and after while they were tearing down. So was your mom from like New York or Boston or New the Northeast York. or yeah, US? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Long Island. Because I know when I met you, it was, you were kind of like the outlier geographically, yeah. you know, like you came from Virginia, but it was because your mom had grown up at camp having been a, a New Yorker. Okay. You know, I was also the outlier financially. But but that was the cool thing about camp was that that disappeared, right? Nobody noticed that at all. Right. So I, um, you know, like because of my mom's relationship to the camp, we only had to pay like 50% or something. And that was a lot more affordable for us. So, all right. So tell me about starting a camp. What it was like without me? Must have sucked. You know, <laughs> I, I do think... That that your arrival was also transformative for me. I mean, I I did I did love camp before you showed up, but I think I loved camp for the activities that we did, just how fun it is, right? To be in a group of kids and have four hours a day of sports and games, right? You soccer at your ten o'clock activity, and then volleyball at your eleven. Um, but I don't think I had a close relationship with anyone like I did once you got there. Do you remember? Who was I friends with before you got there? I'm not sure because you, you somehow knew I think you had been in cabin before and he ended up. Oh, so was also not new your first year. That's right. I think it was his second year, uh, maybe third, but he was in bunk seven. We were eight and they were the same age group. But I, it's, I got the impression that there'd been some mixing up, you know, that previously yeah, you had been a bunk with him. And I don't know. I, I mean, my again, this is so many years ago and I was young, but my perception was that um, you personally were somewhat of a challenging camper mm. before that. And that, that was part of the reason that Sam had stayed with you for more, I think, you know, I think maybe 86 was like his third summer as your counselor. Um, was it? Wow. Yeah. And he described you as, um, what did he say? He said, John was the kind of kid where if he was around good kids, he was good. But if he was around other kids who were misbehaving, he was bad. Mm. So that's all I, that, that, I don't know who, I don't know which those kids were, who you were with or who your friends were or whatever. Well, that's sweet that Sam stuck with me when I was challenging. Yeah. Sam had a lot of really great things to say about you. We had him on, on the show a little earlier and um, he really looks back and loves you guys. And I'm curious, like with 1986, do you remember meeting Eric? Like do you, does do many memories of that summer come up? You know, some of my memories are not the the hijinks and the hilarious stuff. Do you remember the time that we had to clean the the shower room? No. Okay. There's a time we had to clean the shower room. God, maybe this was before you were there. Maybe this is why I was a challenging kid. The other memory I have at camp is I was a bully. And and you, you know, I can't blame you for me being a bully. But all it takes for what's that great quote? All it takes for like the world to go bad is for is not for bad men to do bad things, but for good men to stand by and watch it happen. Right. No, I think you're totally right. I think that that three musketeer 
persona that we took on gave us that gave us that mob mentality and that car blanche to to do whatever we wanted and that included i mean a lot of i i told ben the story you I don't know if you remember this but um do you remember gary yeah and then we locked him into his cabin by putting the broomstick in between the the like post on the porch and the door frame, the door handle, and he knocked the whole door down. And then we pretended that, that uh, you don't remember any of this. <laughs> uh, what's funny about this is I remember so, throwing a hard candy at his head, and he was like, Ow, that really hurts. And I was like, It's just a candy. <laughs> and he was like, But dude, it's like, you know, the, the consistency of a rock. <laughs> <laughs> this was Gary, also? I, maybe. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I interrupted you. So I wasn't my fault you were a bully, but you were a bully. Yeah, I have guilt about that. I do too. You, you, you know what? You had the power, I think, to have told me not to do it, and I would have listened to you. But it's it's my fault for being a bully. That's fascinating <laughs> that you say that. I felt like I had no power. I felt like uh, I was the one who came with kind of the least established sense of self, and that I was molded by my interactions with you, and that ultimately when you came into the picture, he was, you know, most of the bad ideas were his, I think, and that you were kind of game for anything and I was just too weak to say no. You know, maybe in 86 you didn't have that power, but certainly by senior camp and CIT you did. Interesting. Well, and I, I remember Sam saying to us that the, the three musketeers, you know, name that we'd given to ourselves was potentially problematic. Yeah. I, I do remember Sam we... Because I, I think he was like, you know, Kevin wants to hang out with y'all. And just the fact that y'all have that name makes it challenging for him. Yeah, that's right. There are no four musketeers. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I know that we were at some point pulled aside by probably Kathy and or Jancy or Bill to say, if you guys don't get your act together, you're not going on your five-day trip, your senior camp trip. You know, whether that was um, the whitewater rafting main trip or the, or the Quebec trip, it was it was dangled in front of us as like, you need to be less exclusive. And then we spent the rest of that summer naming ourselves the Three Musketeers, a non-exclusive group. And like that, we sort of like just, we just like, that was our refrain. We just kept saying, but we're not exclusive, you know, like, but we didn't change our behavior. We just labeled ourselves differently. That's, that sounds like a very response. Exactly. But it didn't sound malicious. It just, from what I've heard from hearing from Sam and Eric, it sounds like just this sense of mateship was so strong that, you almost didn't care because like the friendships that you, and the connection that you had was like worth it. Is that the case? I mean, I think it's, it's awesome that you focus in on the positive and I would say that, yes, that, that is the case. I, I think that overwhelmingly the relationships that we had in that group were, you know, super powerful for me and, and in my life. And I think gave me a, a tremendous feeling of, you know, belonging and acceptance and confidence. Hmm. But maybe some of the power, right, that was like, oh, I'm in the in-group, right? And, right? and maybe that experience was augmented by the fact that it was, it, it, it was a circle that had a boundary. Mm. You know, what, what, what fascinates me is that I think I had this perception, again, that I was unformed and that you had, all, had it all together. You know, like that I was lucky to sort of get to join you and become one of those three musketeers. And in retrospect, looking back at it now, hearing you describe yourself, but also hearing Sam and Jeff describe you in the time before I got to camp, and in, in my understanding of who is, it probably was true that each of us was searching 
of course. For, right, you know, like I, I pictured it as like, I can't believe like they took me in, you know, and of like, course, yeah, yeah. but in, in retrospect, like he was probably, I mean, he was a pretty odd kid, right? Like, especially at that camp, he was, he dressed differently. He wasn't into sports. He was, you know, he was kind of like quirky, I would say. Um, and I think in some ways you and I were also, and it was probably more of a democratic, equally revolutionary relationship for each of us, as opposed to my memory, which was like, you were established there and then like you took me in. Yeah. I mean, I think especially at that age, it's hard for us to notice that other people aren't similarly struggling, you know, with their own questions of identity and what, you know, I mean, like I say this to my kid all the time, he'll have like a zit or something and he doesn't want to go to school. And I'm like, dude, nobody's noticing your zit. Everybody's just thinking about their own zits and their own, you know, freckles and their own whatever's. So you know, like you're, you're so self-conscious because you pay tremendous amounts of attention to yourself. Yeah. No one else pays nearly as much attention to you as you right. do. You notice everything weird. You know, nobody else does. Everybody else is too busy paying attention to themselves. I was going to say, it, I was able to leverage. So I, I describe camp as being this place where I kind of discovered a, a little bit of a different aspect of my personality. Whereas at home, I was like really the well-behaved kid. My sister was acting out terribly. I like going through, I'd say, pretty severe teenage stuff. Um, and my parents were like exclusively focused on getting her back on track. Um, and to the point where like, I just wanted to keep my head down and not cause any trouble. And that was right at the time when I got to camp. But I was also, I used that to my advantage. Like you had a reputation that preceded you a little bit. And so I remember a lot of cases in which we were totally like equally misbehaving and you got in trouble and I didn't. You know, like, because you were John Ben and like you, you they knew that like, oh, this is, because you know, it's true. Like now that we're camp directors, we know sometimes you, the counselors go into a summer going like, oh, I got this kid. Like mm-hmm. he, he can Pencil. be a little challenging. Whereas like Eric Sasson came in blank slate, you know, and I had and this you were sort of, of like, laid back. Yeah. You were a little bit yeah. quieter. Yeah. And I just, I, I did, I just, so I remember like being in the back of a bus and, um, we were doing that thing. I can't remember what we called it, but where you like let a big loogie hang down from your mouth and you try to oh, suck yeah. it back up before it falls in the other kid's mouth. You know what that is? You know that? I don't know the name for that, but yes, yeah. I, I'm <laughs> yeah. aware of that. I was doing it to you, I think. Like I was oh, on top I got of in trouble. Case. Yeah. And that I, that I, sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah that was unfair. They remember. They're like, here I am like pinning you down, like spinning <laughs> at you. And they're like, John, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, geez, that kid's, yeah. <laughs> you know, absolutely. I have, positive you know memories and and positive nostalgia um uh, and it's it's sort of an experience when you're a parent you want your kids to have a better life than you had right and everything that was like good in your childhood like all the positive memories at least for me right that i had in my childhood i want to like recreate those for my kids right like i want to make sure that my boys have that same thing and one of the things about camp that was the most positive for me was the opportunity to reinvent myself. When, when you just have one social peer group that you're with, you know, 12 months out of the year, when you just have that one group, which is your, your schoolmates, right? You get set. Your, your friendships get formed. Your personality gets formed. It sort of becomes dictated to you who you are. And it's hard to change that, Mm -hmm. you know? And in fact, I've talked to my son about that a little bit as well. Right. I'm like, um, hey, dude, you know, sometimes it seems like you don't, sometimes it seems like he doesn't have as many friends as, as I think would be healthy for him to have. And I've like, tried to encourage him to have more friends and he seems to be doing better now. So that's cool. But, you know, one of the things he said was, he's like, dad, it would be easier for me to make new friends if like we moved and I was the new kid somewhere. 
Right. He was like, now if I try to make friends with these kids that I've been going to school with and have known for like 10 years they'd be like, why is a weird kid suddenly coming up and like talking to me? Right. So it's a chance yeah. to reinvent yourself. And, you know, and, and a camp, especially cause like it's been 10 months since you've seen people. First of all, you have a second opportunity, right? It's like you have two identities, but also each time when you come back to camp, you can change in a way that that's not possible. I think um, with, with your schoolmates that you're with, you know, 10 months out of the year. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely right. That's something that's come up quite a lot as we've been speaking, whether, whether you're someone from the Northeast or even just the U S or someone like Jeff or myself, that's come from around the world. Camp is unique like that. And it's, it's excusable. You can come back after one summer, a completely different person. And people are like, yeah, I haven't seen you for 10 months. I'm just going to accept you for who you are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, which yeah. is nuts. I mean, I can think of some counter examples. Like we had a kid in our age group who uh, we called Hemi and, uh, you know, he, st- he tried for years to make us all realize his name was actually not Hemi. It was Eric. Uh, and he got named Hemi. This is a great tale of like camp in the 80s. His counselor gave him that nickname because it's short for hemorrhoids because the kid was such a pain in the ass. <laughs> and it got to the point where like, That's that was his name, like the camp yeah. directors. I mean, I, no, I know I mean, for sure that Jancy called him Hemi and Bill and like, that was his name at camp. Yeah. And I remember like, he was, a, he was a, a senior camper with us and he was a CIT with us. And by his CIT year, when you're like taking care of other kids, you're like kind of working. He was like really saying like, can you guys please call me Eric? And we're like, shut up, Hemi. So he wasn't quite able to reinvent himself. Something had happened that got so ingrained in the culture of camp that it wasn't as easy. Uh, but I totally agree. That certainly the first time you go is an opportunity to do that for sure. And, and did, did Hemi, did we ever start calling him Eric? Never? I didn't. I never did. You wouldn't have wanted to, right? You want to be just exactly. Eric. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah, inconvenient for me. All right. So I'm still I'm I'm still trying to piece together. So what years were what years are the counselor years? And then what where did you go from? Well, from yeah, we're going to get there in a second because first, so he has no memories of '86. So we're going to skip past <laughs> that. Um, when did camp. we play? When did we play Rummy Five Thousand? That was not '86. '86, fifty thousand. That was '86. Yeah. So I have a memory from '86. And and what about the year that I had a crush on Jacqueline? And she ended up uh, choosing somebody named Mike. Was that 86? That was 86. I have memories. You do? Yeah, you guys, you guys were definitely more confident and interested. I guess I was, I was as interested in girls, but I wasn't as confident. So I never even like approached anybody. I didn't have a girlfriend at camp until I was a counselor. And I remember that was a big piece of like, I felt so possessive of our friendship and our relationship that over the primarily 87, 88, 89, so senior camp and CIT year, in a perfectly developmentally normal way, you and weren't with me 24 seven because you were also having girlfriends. And I, that was hard for me. I remember like the feeling like, first of all, I wanted to have a girlfriend and I I was just too shy to talk to them very much, but then also that they were taking you guys away from me. And then what about, but I do sort of want to talk about the fact that camp at some point just became like a a 24 seven orgy. But before we go there, (laughs) um, remember there's a time, this is sort of a little weird too, where we were so attached that I wanted to like tie a string between our hands and sleep all night long with a string attaching us. You don't remember no. that? No. And I, I was really sad because in the morning I woke up to discover that you had untied. I was in the <laughs> upper bunk and you were in the lower bunk. Was that 86? Yeah. Okay. And I, I woke up in the morning to discover that you had untied the string from like your finger and just tied it to like your bedpost because it was like a pain in your ass to sleep like that. And I thought, oh, how sweet! How sweet! We slept all night connected to each other, <laughs> only to discover that no, 
I I'm really sorry. I don't remember that. That's a that's a really funny instinct that you had, <laughs> but it's touching. Yeah, and that, and that might you know point to my own insecurities and and need to be you know connected to people, right? Yeah, yeah. But you didn't notice at the time. No, no, yeah. I wasn't going anywhere either. At this point, Ben asked John a question that had nothing to do with camp, and we got into a long conversation about when John was in the Peace Corps in Palau. We'll play you a part of that now. And so tell, tell us about how you met your wife. So my, so Palau Peace Corps service is a two year program. Mm-hmm. And every year they bring in a new group. They retire the old group and bring in a new group. Yeah. So there's always second years and first years. And my first year I lived with this old man who, who still made his fishing as a subsistence fisherman. And he didn't speak English and he'd always, it was really like an unbelievable you know, gift that the blessing that I got in my life. I mean, it's a completely unique experience that I had because he's one, he was one of the last people to make a living as a subsistence, you know, fisherman. And he was like the fishing expert and it was, you know, and he'd always wanted to pass it on and Palau is like an oral culture. So knowledge is their primary commodity. So mm-hmm. people don't just give away. He was the village expert in fishing and you don't just give away that knowledge. You give it away to your son. Yeah. Plows also got a very fluid definition of family. There's just tons of adoptions. Yeah. So when, when Peace Corps go to Palau, it's very important that they are placed in families because your identity is all about having a family. And also I think it, honestly, I think it protects the women more so than, than the men need the protection, but to have a family is very important. Um, and so, but then also when they place you with a family, the family is like, this is my child. I am now, you know, the, the father of this person. Right. So this old man's like, Hey, awesome. I got a son and I really wanted to go fishing. So I went fishing with this guy all the time and I loved it. And I continue to love fishing in Palau. And most of the time we went at nighttime with with snorkel and mask and a fl- underwater flashlight and spear gun that's nuts it's just so fun and he was just amazing and he taught me everything one time and he didn't speak english right so it was sort of like learn palawan or get hit by a spear oh. right <laughs> and, and one time one time we did a different method of fishing it was pretty fun so we went out at high tide and we made a semicircle of net out into the ocean and then we just like went back home and i would go fish with him you know like four or five times a week right and it was always like john go to sleep we're gonna wake you up at two o'clock in the morning you're gonna go fishing you know go to sleep we're gonna wake you up at four in the morning go fishing whatever and he always knew the time and the place right but so this one time we went at high tide set up the semicircle, and then we went we went back home and rested whatever and went back at at low tide um and then basically the fish are just like in puddles that are left right and then there's some that are stuck in the net and so it's just a really easy way to go fishing. We just harvest everything. And there was a crab hanging in the net. And I thought to myself, no problem. I can get the crab out of the net, right? So I'm like working on extricating the crab from the net. And next thing I know, I got the crab out of the net, but it's hanging pretty painfully off one of my fingers. <laughs> and so I hear, the old man's like far away. He's like on the other side. It's a pretty big net we put out. And he's like yelling something at me, right? And he's like walking towards me, yelling something at me. And and I'm trying to translate, what is he saying? What is he saying? What is he saying? And so simultaneously, two things happen. So one, the crab's other claw gets my other hand. Oh. And two, I translate what he's saying, 
which is watch out for your other hand. <laughs> <laughs> and when I tell the story to you people that aren't plowing, they sort of have the reaction Ben had, which was, Ben, what was your reaction just then? Like shocked. And, and, and did you feel sorry for someone in the story? Yeah. Who? You. Yeah, why? I mean, you've got a, a crab hanging off your finger. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and then what about when it got my second finger? I mean, even worse. Like, that's a pretty unfortunate <laughs> scenario. <laughs> so, do you know who Palauans feel bad for in that story? The crab? No. There's only three people in the story. Me, the, the crab. Yeah, the, the old man. The old man. They, they feel sorry for the old man. Because? Because the reason that we're doing this is to make money. And the value in the crab is the claw. And, and the only way to get the claw off is to bang it with a stick and you break the claw and you lose the value. Right. So clowns are like, oh, this old man, he's being nice. He's trying to teach this American how to fish. So the American screws it up. Now the poor old man just lost a lot of value from his catch. But at least there's one claw left. <laughs> <laughs> and then they hear that it got my other hand and they're like, ugh. So, so anyway, so I, I did a good job learning Palawan. Um, not, not quite enough to avoid losing the second claw, but I did all right. And then... I don't know, I'm waiting for like, and then I had a so I go to the doctor and she's beautiful and I married her. This has nothing to do with... This is the, not the meeting story yet? <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish I could go back and tell the stories about, about camp like this. I, I forgot. I was going to say, you're such a great storyteller. If you can remember anything from camp, <laughs> it would be freaking helpful. No, this is good. But one thing that I've learned about you, John, is that like with the crab, you just would just go in with your heart and just get the crab out of the net. It sounds like some stories that I've been told about you. This is just your nature, which is really cool. What the, thank you, Ben. So, so the way that I met my wife. Um... He did eventually tell us how he met his wife, but we're not going to include that in this episode. Anyway, eventually Ben did bring the conversation back to camp. One last thing for me, John, is just the immersive nature of anything, whether it's uh, the, the Peace Corps or, or camp um, or college is a bit the same, but th there's something about it that is just, I, I don't think we're using this podcast as a form of discovery or trying to find it, but there's something about it that is really profound and enjoyable. Um, what is it for you? Do you find yourself that you thrive in those settings that are really immersive as you're later, later in life? Have you continued being in similar settings or do you look back at your time in the Peace Corps and camp as a time that feels like a long time ago? Well, do I thrive in immersive situations? Um, I, I think I do certainly appreciate the opportunity to get to know people at a deeper level. Mm. And, and to, you, what better way to do that than in a situation where you live with people, right? You go to bed at night, you sleep in a small room, you know, mm. in bunk beds with them. You wake up in the morning, you spend all day with them. And I, I do like situations like that. Um, yeah, I never, you know, I never felt like I was somebody that could go to a bar and, and pick up a woman that it always, for me, it, it took a more immersive relationship before right. women would, would come to, to like me. A woman yeah. that I loved at Amherst for years, one of my best friends, sort of said a horrible thing to me. I think she was trying to be nice, but she was like, when I first met you, I didn't think you were cute at all. But now you're one of the most attractive people I know. I'm like, I'm not sure. I'm not I sure think, about that compliment. I think there's something to that. My, my telling of our friendship always starts with the fact that I hated you at first. 
Huh. Every time, like my kid, if I if I brought my kids up here right now and I said like, "Hey, you remember John?" My daughter would be like, "Oh, he's that kid that you hated at first, and then he like he was doing the whoopee cushion and he was bothering you, so much, and then all of a sudden he became best friends." Like that is that is the telling of it, and that's kind of maybe that's true for you. Like you came on a little strong at first, talking too fast and too loud and too close, and didn't have like a great sense of physical boundaries at the time, and it took me a minute to like be okay with that. And then all of a sudden it was like all in, but maybe she felt the same way. You know, my college roommate, who's now, you know, also one of my best friends, this guy, Alex, um, when he first met me, he actually said the same thing. And his mom was, was with him because, you know, parents drop off kids. And so he was my freshman roommate. And again, we had that immersive relationship, right? Where you fall asleep at night. We had three of us sleeping in a little room together. Um, and his mom said, don't be friends with that kid. I don't like that kid. And again, it was because of sort of what you said, Eric, that I was like too loud and talked too fast. And I'm not sure why that's a bad thing, but some people don't like that. But it didn't take, you know, for some reason, like the second letter they went home was like, oh my God, this is a kid. Same kid that I hated. Like he's, you know, he's my best friend now. On the next episode of the Summer Camp Chronicles, I start to realize it's about more than just me. I want to linger a little longer, a little longer here with you. The Summer Camp Chronicles is hosted by me, Eric Sasson, and by Ben Jerez. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends, give us a five-star rating, and write a review. That will all help us share the Summer Camp Chronicles with more camp lovers like you. Follow us on Instagram at Summer Camp Chronicles, or email us at summercampchronicles at gmail.com. Send us any comments, feedback, or parts of your camp story that you want to share with us. Oh, also, we're kind of tired of waiting for Jake Gyllenhaal, so we're thinking about inviting Maggie on instead. Let us know if you happen to live next door to her. Our opening music is Going Away, and our closing song is Linger. Both songs are performed by Lisa Loeb, who was a huge fan of camp and generously allowed us to use her music in this podcast. These songs, and a bunch of other great camp songs, appear on her album, Camp Lisa. Proceeds from that album help send underprivileged kids to camp, so we hope you'll check it out. I wanna linger a little longer here with you Think of you inside. This is good night and not goodbye.